The scripture reading today is Matthew 5, 1 to 9. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for every single person that you have brought today. We are here together with distractions, with pain, with hurt, with confusion. Um, God, I just pray that you would settle our hearts. I pray that you would remind us that even when it doesn't feel like it, that you are here. Um, I pray that that would be a comfort to us this morning and that it would be enough of a peace and comfort to let go of all the other things that are on our mind about this coming week, about last week and what we didn't get done. I pray that we would feel a peace here today as Alan brings a sermon. I pray that you would give him the words to say, allow him to be a vessel. God, speak through him um, for exactly what we need to hear this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Right. Um, we are continuing our look at the Sermon on the Mount, um, and, and at this point now we're working our way uh, through these Beatitudes one at a time. And, and today we come to this particular Beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, I, I keep saying this every week, and, and I do because I think it's so important, be, because I think it's also something that our religious culture tends to miss a lot. And that is that as you go through these Beatitudes, they are not uh, an optimal list of things that we are supposed to become. These are, are not a, a number of goals for us to shoot for, that we should try to become more poor in spirit, that we should work on being uh, more meek and merciful. Because I think most Christians, at least in our culture, would approach these Beatitudes as really beautiful pictures of what as Christians we're supposed to become, which means therefore, you know, you can work on this stuff and where you fall short, there's grace. But, but I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here at all. He's not talking about what Christians are supposed to become. Rather, he's telling us what citizens of his kingdom already are. In other words, Jesus is telling us that citizens of my kingdom, it's not an outward kingdom that you can put on or take up or, or try hard uh, to make reality in your life, but it's an inward kingdom with a new heart. You know, the typical response that I often hear to people being asked, are you a Christian as well? You know, I'm trying to be, I'm doing my best. And, and, and see, Jesus completely dispels that notion here because it's the one thing you cannot try hard to be. Because listen, if Christianity was something that you could take on if Christianity was something that you could try to be then you wouldn't need Jesus at least not for anything more than a good example to follow but you see his whole point here in this sermon 
is Jesus says citizens of my kingdom are so poor in spirit that all they have is need. And therefore, they turn to me for rescue. And Jesus says that when we do, it creates a new heart. It creates a new attitude. It, there's a transformed heart that makes a new creature. And these Beatitudes are describing them. This is who and what they already are. And so the way that we tried to connect these Beatitudes last week was to see that it's, it's those who recognize their complete poverty of spirit that realize they have nothing to offer God but their need, those are the people who tend to be merciful to others. Because how can you be harsh toward others when God has been that merciful to you? It's those who mourn over their sin rather than try to justify it or, or make excuses for it or, or maybe compare it to the worst sins of those people over there. But no, they mourn over it. They are the ones that have a burning desire for purity and righteousness rather than trying to get their act together because God's standard is to be perfect and holy not just to be a little bit better than you were yesterday and so now here today Jesus says I think it's those who most recognize their need and see how Jesus has met that need they are the ones who become meek in their relationships with other people they're patient they're they're kind they're understanding with others and therefore they become peacemakers rather than competitive arguers who are always trying to win at all costs and you see Jesus says here that the truly happy people are citizens of my kingdom a kingdom of the heart who now become peacemakers and they are the ones who are called the children of God not just merely those who claim to have a religious heritage which of course would have been the case for his audience when he gave this original message right they, the, the, the Pharisees they're listening to this would have been shocked by Jesus' statements here because they were looking for a, a Messiah who was a militant one, right? who would come and deliver his people from the oppressive rule of the Romans and set up the people of God a, a, as the superior race on the face of the earth. And so they claimed to be children of God who deserved all this because they were sons of Abraham. And they were waiting for this kind of Messiah. But Jesus just blows them away when he says, no, not in my kingdom. I mean, maybe that's how it works in the religious kingdom of the Pharisees. You know, maybe that's how it works in the evangelical culture of, of America, but not in my kingdom. It is the meek and the humble. It's the peacemakers who are called children of God. Now, before we actually get into this beatitude, I want to ask the question, why does Jesus say that the peacemakers are the truly happy ones in this life? And I think the answer is very important for us because, again, it's not the ones who choose to be peacemakers who are happy. Because, man, I can tell you from personal experience, I know that when I try to be kind and patient and considerate with people that are annoying me, and if I do it because I'm supposed to, if I do it because it's the right thing to do, uh, it often just feels like a miserable death. And, and I'm often more grumpy than I am happy that I have to do it. But Jesus says that citizens of my kingdom are happy to be peacemakers and they delight in it. Now, why? Again, because they have a new heart and they're remembering that new heart and they're booting off of that new heart. And when you try to jerry-rig the heart from the outside in, it's a miserable experience. But when your peacemaking boots off a new heart, it becomes something natural, and you're happy to do it. 
So what does it mean to boot your peacemaking off of a new heart? I think essentially it means just to remember the gospel, to remember how desperately that you needed rescue and how graciously that God came after you so that now you've got everything that you need. And so the, the naturally insecure, competitive heart, it's filled up and you're secure and, and you're happy and you're overflowing with everything that you need. Because listen, it doesn't take a genius to figure out why the world around us is so miserable and so unhappy. Because when you are a slave to your own heart and your own passions and your own desires, it, it leads to lust and, and to pride and to selfishness. Uh, it, it leads to a need to win, uh, to always be trying to get ahead. If you live that way, you can't ever be happy. Because you're always chasing something that can never be had. And everybody else is chasing the same thing, and so you're all competing with each other for something that can't be had. And in a world like that, peacemaking is a luxury that nobody can afford. Listen, most of us, if we're honest, are content to settle for trying to change our outward behavior. Right? We do it in, in our own hearts through the hypocrisy of pretending to be better than we really are. Right? I mean, you never are totally honest about how screwed up you are. When people say, how's your week? Well, let me tell you what I did. No, you don't. Fine, fine. I was fine, right? Or, or maybe sometimes through the church we'll do it in the legalism of trying to coerce the heart with guilt and shame so that we can look better to people and have a better reputation on the outside and therefore just frankly feel better about ourselves. But we do it not only in ourselves, we also try to do that outside and change through culture, through for example, using politics to enact laws that put us and our agenda back in charge. And, you know, we, you know, for example, cheer things like the overthrow of Roe versus Wade. That's great. When clearly the vast majority of hearts still haven't been changed on the matter yet. Right. And for many Christians, well, that's OK. As long as it makes my life easier. <laughs> you know, as long as I can live each day with less opposition and have more comfort in this life, I really don't care whatever people think as long as my laws and my rules are winning so that I can live a better, more comfy life. But you see, Jesus here is reminding us that peacemakers, like the merciful, like the meek, like those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's only possible when you have a transformed heart. And we're not content with merely outward self-improvement. We need an entirely new heart. And listen, for Christians who understand this, we just come to expect evil, selfish, even stupid behavior out of people. Yeah, it's normal. You're, we're not surprised. We're not outraged. We're not triggered by the antics of what people do and say. Our, our reaction is, well, of course people act that way. They don't have a transformed heart yet. So, of course, they're going to say and do stupid things to protect that heart of theirs. But it also means that we don't fall apart when we see that same foolishness being expressed in our own hearts because we're always blowing it, every one of us. We're always forgetting what Jesus did for us. And so rather than beating ourselves up over our failings, rather than feeling ashamed and, and guilty for our stupidity, which is all outside in coercion, we run to the cross where there's forgiveness, where there's peace. See, this is where the peace begins. God has made peace with us. And when we can remember that, it fills us with the peace that allows us to be peacemakers toward others. So let's just ask the question, what is a peacemaker? And I want to say right away what it's not. 
It's not talking about a person uh, who is easygoing by nature. Again, we're talking about a supernatural ability to make peace. Jesus is not talking about a natural disposition. This is not peace at any cost. This is not trying to uh, always avoid any trouble or controversy and just kind of keep the peace. That's not what we're talking about here. This is not an appeaser. I mean, Jesus' own life proves that he was the ultimate peacemaker and he was anything but those things. But you see, a peacemaker is both passively pursuing peace, and that is they're a peaceable person. They're not a quarrelsome person. They're somebody that, that people trust and turn to because they're free from the agenda of self. But a peacemaker is also actively pursuing peace in culture. As people are regularly fighting and trying to kill each other, we're pursuing peace. We're pursuing peace in government. We're pursuing peace even in nature, right? We should be, Christians should be the best environmentalists around. We're, we're, we're pursuing peace there. We pursue peace in our relationships. We pursue peace in our church and in our community rather than taking delight in bashing all those stupid people that we just don't agree with, right? A peacemaker takes delight in helping people to set aside their agendas to pursue reconciliation. See, they go out of their way proactively to pursue peace. Now, how's that possible? I mean, especially if we're not talking about a natural disposition because you and I both know that seeking peace is neither natural nor easy. And that's why Jesus said it takes a new heart to do this. It takes a new outlook on life, a new uh, perspective. And see, you can see how this logically follows from being pure in heart. Those who are filled with jealousy and envy and bitterness, they, you can't ever be a peacemaker. I mean, they're consigned for life to be people who stir up trouble unless God changes their hearts. But peacemakers are those who've been given that heart. And this also logically flows from being meek, because I think we're talking here about even more than having uh, a new heart attitude. We're also talking about a whole new way uh, of looking at yourself. See, that's why this beatitude is connected to meekness. Remember, when we looked at meekness, we said it means being delivered from all obsessions about self. Right? It's a complete death to any self-concern. It's a complete death to any self-interest, to any self-promotion. Because you see, you cannot be a peacemaker if you're still consumed with yourself. You can't be a, a peacemaker if you're still touchy and sensitive and defensive. You can't be a peacemaker if you're still struggling to find and create your own identity. Because you'll do it at the expense of everyone and everything around you. In other words, what we're saying is a peacemaker is a peacemaker because they now look out on the world and, and they find that they're looking at it through the lens of a whole new me. See, a meek person is not looking at the world through the lens of how everything affects them. What's this going to mean for me, right? How does this make me look? What is this going to cost me? See, that's the natural way of looking out at the world. And since everybody else is also th thinking the same thing, there's no way it can lead to anything but conflict. It can't lead to anything but destroying and, and canceling your enemies. But a peacemaker has an entirely new view of himself. You know, she says, I'm so screwed up that I deserve nothing but judgment. And so I don't, I don't have any rights. I, I can't make any demands. I, I don't have any privileges to draw upon. 
And if you see yourself as being that poor in spirit, it leads you to mourn over your sin rather than trying to fix it with justifying it or defending it or comparing it to others, which leads to a hunger and thirst not to get your act together so that you look better, but it creates a hunger and thirst for true righteousness, for holiness and purity. And you have peace with God leading to peace with your neighbor. Listen, you cannot view your life through the lens of me and my agenda and my validation and how this affects me and how this promotes me and how this serves my interests and ever be a peacemaker. It's just not possible. And you won't see yourself that way to the degree that you fail to see yourself as poor in spirit. See, you have to come to the end of yourself. You have to be lost in the wonder of Jesus who already lived the life that you should have lived and died the death that you deserve to die. And, and, and so the, the, the real question right here is, have you yet come to the end of yourself? See, I think so many of us, I, I believe in Jesus, I rest in Jesus, I cling to Jesus, I worship Jesus, but I'm still hanging on to my life over here. I've got my agendas, I've got my bottom lines, and I'm not letting go of that. You can't have it both ways. Right? And, if, and if you do, you're going to really suck at being a peacemaker. Because, listen, if you're bad at being a peacemaker, the solution is not to work on being a better peacemaker. The solution is to be more honest, have a more honest assessment of just how screwed up that you really are. And yet, how deeply Jesus has covered that need for you. So there's, there's, there's nothing in you left to defend. There's no self left to promote. This is the only way to become a peacemaker. And see, I mean, you know this in theory, that a non-believer only has one heart. It's a heart of self that desperately needs to be defended and protected. And therefore, they're, they're unable to be a peacemaker. They're unable to be anything but a self-promoter at the expense of everybody else. It's their nature. They can't help it. But a believer has two natures at work within you. You have the old nature that's still consumed with me, but you have a new nature now that, that hates the old nature. We hate what it produces. We hate what it does to us and what it does to other people. As Paul says in Romans 7, I keep doing all the crap that I don't want to do and all the good stuff I want to do, I can't seem to pull it off. I, help me, rescue me. But this new self also has new longings, longings to be filled with the righteousness of Jesus and new perspectives, as we said, that see that Jesus has already given me everything that I need, so I don't need to promote myself anymore. I don't need to defend myself. And therefore, you're able to be peaceable with everybody. See, stupid people doing stupid things doesn't trigger you anymore into a self-righteous rage. Because you look at that and you say, well, of course they act that way. Of course, they're enslaved by their old nature. They can't help doing or being or acting any other way, and therefore you have pity on them. It's what we looked at under being merciful. We're patient, and we're understanding with them because, you know, we get it. We remember what it's like to be enslaved by those things, and frankly, we still battle those longings ourselves, and so we long to see them rescued at like we've been rescued instead of putting them in their place. But we not only have a new view of ourselves, we also have a new view of the world around us. See, if there's no you to defend and promote, the only thing left to live for is the glory of God, right? Because let's face it, you're living for the glory of me. Your whole life has been consumed with the glory of self. 
And when you come to the end of that, the only thing left is the glory of God. And you're not living for the Christian cause to win. You're not living for your tribe or your political party to win because that's still about me. But you see, and when we engage in tearing other people down, when, when we mock certain political or social causes because of how obviously stupid they are, we're forgetting the rescue that we've been given. We're not remembering the peace with God that we have because of Jesus. And so for the Christian, we're not only understanding of people who are selfish and screwed up because as we said, we get it. We, we've been there. Our, our, our hearts still wander there. But we also see it as a violation of how God made us rather than a violation against me and my rights and my privileges. We're motivated by the glory of God and not by the defense of me and my cause. And therefore, a Christian is somebody who is ready to humble himself. He's ready to do anything to see the glory of God revealed. She's willing to suffer anything to see it come to pass. Any injustice, uh, willing to be wronged, willing like Dietrich Bonhoeffer to stand for the truth and die for the truth rather than protect yourself. Now, that's all great in theory. That's great theology. I think it's correct theology, but what about in practice? How can we actually be peacemakers? And let me just walk you through some practical admonitions that Scripture gives us about how to functionally be a peacemaker. But I, let me give you a caveat. It's a bit dangerous for me to do this because of how easily it can sound like I'm saying, okay, just do these things and you'll become more of a peacemaker, which clearly I've tried to disavow you of that over and over again up to this point. But, but I mention these um, because it's helpful, I think, to put feet to what does it mean, what does a peacemaker look like? How can I gauge my own life as to whether I'm living consistently as a peacemaker? What failings uh, are, uh, should be driving me to repentance? And so let me walk through with all that caveat in mind. The first uh, thing that we see scripture talks about being a peacemaker is just learning to keep your mouth shut, all right? The apostle James reminds us in James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You see, despite what the Facebook and Instagram eras have taught us, you don't need to express an opinion on everything, all right? You don't have to do that. You can keep those things to yourself. And you don't need to repeat everything that you've heard from somebody else. You know, there, listen, there's all sorts of things that we want to say to our spouse. Zip it, right? Mm, right? There, there are things that we want to say about what other people have said or done there, there are things that we want to repeat about, you can't believe what that stupid politician said. And, and, we, and we do that and we tear people down and we demean them in order to make ourselves feel and look better. But the peacemaker lets the peace of Jesus express to you when you didn't deserve it. It takes the pressure off needing now to expose all the failings of others all the time. Listen, even if somebody says something bad about you, well, you know, what's your typical reaction? If you're like me, you want to defend yourself, right? You want to lash back. You want to make them pay. You want to expose all the foolish things that they've done. But what we're called to do is to remember that you've already been defended by Jesus. And if you can remember that, you can bite your tongue and not use it as a weapon. So the first thing I think the scripture reminds us that you can do in actively trying to promote peace is knowing when to speak and when to keep your mouth shut. That's so important. The second piece of practical advice is that we all need to learn to, to view every situation in light of the gospel. Not only do you need to hold your running commentary on the world, but you, you also just have to think. 
you have to filter everything that's happening around you through the gospel. You know, my, my wife hates it, uh, listening to the news. She will not listen to any news, anywhere, anytime. And so I feel it's my duty to uh, inform her of things that she's completely ignorant of. And when I do, all she hears coming through is the anger and the rage and the injustice and the stupidity of things that are happening in the world. And I'm having to learn better how to filter that news um, through the lens of the gospel. You know, and she always says, well, well, what, is, what does Jesus have to do with that? <laughs> how does that affect our lives? I don't want to hear about that unless there's, there's an answer to how we're supposed to react to this. You know, what is it going to mean for the church? What is it going to mean for our family? How does this impact our community? How does God still being seated on the throne affect how we think about this and how we're going to react to this? See, is our response one that promotes peace and healing or just incites more rage? I mean, triggering rage seems to be the main goal of most organizations these days. And I think all too often Christians are doing the very same things by the way we talk about current events or as we, the ways we talk about what somebody did. So I can't believe they said that. Can you believe that? Come hear this. All right. I mean, listen, of course you can believe it if you understand that everybody is a sinner. You know, as Winston Marshall this week quote, I quote, found this quote of his. He's a co-founder of the band uh, Mumford & Sons, and he left the band because of all the wokeness going on in the band. But one of the things he said is, we've forgotten the core Christian value that we are all fallen and we are all fallible. And he was crit critiquing the current social climate of judging and canceling and destroying all the people that we don't agree with. And so I think this is an admonition that we see in Scripture to learn how to filter all of life and everything that is happening to us and around us through the lens of the gospel instead of through the lens of me and how does this make me look and how does this make me feel and does this make my side win that's how we filter everything and i think jesus is calling us to walk away from that but then thirdly i think we're called to be proactive in looking for ways to actually make peace you know proverbs 25 says if your enemy is hungry give him food to eat if he's thirsty Give him water to drink. And, and, and see, Jesus is telling us that it's not enough. It, it, if somebody says something bad about you, it's not enough just to keep your mouth shut. Unless you're also proactively looking for ways of promoting peace, you're still engaging in destructive behavior. Just, mm, I hope you die. That's not enough. Right? We're actually called upon to look for ways to promote peace. See, if somebody says something disparaging about some cause that you hold dear, if somebody says something demeaning about your political candidate or your southern heritage, you know, you can bite your tongue, and you should, because you don't need to defend yourself. Jesus has already done that for you. But you are actually called to have mercy on them because you understand why they're being such a jerk because you feel like being that same jerk right now yourself. And you understand their slavery to finding their worth and putting others down and lifting themselves up. And you get it. See, you've, you've been there, and you still often want to go there. And so you have compassion on them, and you pray that God will deliver them. And you start to actually bring that deliverance by not inciting more evil by your own responses. In fact, you go out of your way to look for ways to relieve the suffering that's making them act like a jerk, right? You feed them. You clothe them. That's what Scripture says. But the only way you can do that is if you humble yourself. And you humble yourself by remembering how screwed up that you were and how graciously Jesus came and met that need. 
And so to be a peaceable person, you just you have to remember the gospel. You, you know, that's the only way you can let go of revenge and seek peace. And then lastly, I think you also just need to be known as a peaceable person by character. The Bible talks over and over again about the character of God's people being selfless, being lovable, being approachable, being winsome, rather than, you know, a hard ass who's always nitpicking about the faults of others. That's what we do all the time. That's our culture. Everyone is trying to kill everybody else. See, people will be drawn to a person who's winsome, who doesn't need to defend themselves. And I, I can't even remember what the actress name was this week. There's some actress who was being canceled because as a Christian, she wouldn't do certain scenes in a movie. And rather than defend herself, she took the microphone and just started sharing the gospel. You know, it just, I just love that. And I, I just, I love how she didn't need to defend herself because she had Jesus. But, but in the end, I think it takes even more than all of these suggestions for working on being a peaceable person. Um, because it leads us to where Jesus ends when he says, for they will be called the children of God. And, and the word called there means owned. It, it, God, he, what he's saying is God will own as his children those who rest in the righteousness of Jesus instead of trying to promote and defend their own righteousness. See, this is what Paul says in Romans 5. Therefore, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ since we have now been justified by his blood. And see, when Jesus calls us children of God, it's a reminder that God is our daddy. And as his children, we're supposed to be like him. See, he's saying, be like your daddy, the ultimate peacemaker. And, and of course, the only way we can be a peacemaker is if God has first made peace with us and him. Otherwise, all of our attempts at peacemaking are just selfishness, just wanting a more stable world for me and my progress. See, we're, we're about to enter the Christmas season. You can hear the music playing already. And, and, and what's the core message there? Right? That because of the birth of Jesus, because God proactively entered into our world and pursued us and came after us, the angels announced with great tidings and glad joy, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. See, while we were God's enemies, while we were being selfish jerks, he pursued peace with us. He was proactive in sending Jesus, and Jesus was willing to humble himself and take on the very nature of a servant. He was willing to be treated by God as if he were guilty for all the sins that we had committed. Jesus willingly took all this on that we might be healed, that we might be called sons and daughters, that we might have the peace that our hearts desperately long for. And when we lash out at others, when we're quick to point out the mistakes of others, we're standing on rights that we simply do not have. See, when Jesus was dying for us, I want you to think about this. He was the only person in the history of the world who had those rights. And he willingly gave them up in order to serve us, in order to rescue us. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it in his letter to the church in Colossae. For God was pleased to have all, the fullness, all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Or as he said to the church in Ephesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away 
have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. Listen, it is only because of the humility of Jesus who gave up his rights to serve you, who took on sins and, and, and accusations that were true of you, not true of him. He willingly took that on so that you could have peace with God. And having experienced that peace, the call here is to remember and remember and remember that rescue every day. Take your heart back over and over again to the amazing injustice, the amazing grace of Jesus living and dying in your place so that your heart might remember and be humbled once again, first to experience that peace over and over again in your own heart, and then to be moved by that grace to be proactive in spreading that same peace to everybody around you. This is how the Apostle Paul summed it to the church in Philippi. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And you see, that's how peacemakers are born they are born from the life and the death of jesus let him be your defender today so that you are free to be a peacemaker to those around you let's pray lord jesus we we, we love listening to this because there's a part of our hearts that says yes that's what i want that's how i want to live that's how i want my world to be and yet we are inundated over and over and over again every day with the desire to seek revenge, to out people uh, for their foolishness, to talk about them so that others join us in the chorus of tearing others down that make us look and feel higher. We just can't seem to escape it. And like the Apostle Paul, we cry out, who will rescue me from this body of death? And Lord, we long to hear the resounding answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ that you have made peace with us. You have delivered us from slavery to self so that we can now be filled with that love, but then also overflow to bring peace to the world around us. And Lord, I pray that you'd remind us each morning anew that we are recipients of incredible grace so that it teaches us to be patient and kind and gentle toward those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.